And the focus of the ministry of the word today is on the miracle of Christmas, the virgin birth. And uh, the texts that we'll consider, we already read in our scripture reading, Matthew 1, 18 to 25, and also Luke 1, 26 to 38. And so let's look to the Lord and seek his face once again in prayer for God's blessing on the ministry of his holy word. Dear Father, thank you so much for the miracle that we are about to consider. All things are possible with you. We pray that you would bless our study of this great miracle, that you would send us the Holy Spirit, that you would create faith in the skeptics, that you would strengthen the faith of believers, that you would honor and glorify your beloved Son and your great and holy name and encourage the hearts of your people. We ask it in Jesus' name. Amen. You know, the Hallmark movies that some of us like to watch, they're not exactly as you're pointing your finger at someone that loves to watch the Hallmark movies. Well, the thing is they all have basically the same plot and the same ending. And, but they don't? They always do. I mean, we even, no, no, my point is not to preach about Hallmark movies this morning, except that these Hallmark movies tend to speak about Christmas miracles. But they maybe don't define miracle the same way that the Bible does. But what is this, biblically speaking, what is this Christmas miracle? To what do I refer? So I use the word miracle to speak about a supernatural event in which God works either without means or against them. Our own confession speaks this way when it says in chapter 5, paragraph 3, quote, God in his ordinary providence makes use of means, yet... He is free to work without, above, or against them at his pleasure. So when God works without means, above them, or against them, that is a miracle. So if he works against means, like the iron did swim, he works contrary to the law of gravity, so that normally uh, an axe head made out of iron would sink down, but this one came up to the surface. Now, in this case, he's working without means. He bypasses necessary means. Every other human except Jesus, including everybody in this room, has descended from Adam and Eve by human procreation. Human procreation is the necessary and essential means of conception. Every other human being has a biological mother and a biological father. Jesus has a biological mother, but he has no biological father. And that is a miracle. It is the miracle of the virgin birth. 
So I want you to consider with me this morning the story of the virgin birth, the substance of the virgin birth, and the tremendous significance of the virgin birth. First of all, the story. And this story is not fiction, but it is inspired. It is fact because it is contained in the word of God. And it is told from one perspective by Matthew in chapter 1, verses 18 to 25, and from another perspective by Luke in chapter 1, verses 26 to 38. So first of all, consider with me Matthew's account. Matthew's account. Now, first of all, you have a Hebrew betrothal. Now, the birth of Jesus Christ was on this wise when his mother Mary had been betrothed to Joseph. Now, betrothal is not engagement, as we understand being engaged, and it's not marriage, as we understand cohabitation and conjugal relations. But the Hebrew practice of betrothal was in between engagement and marriage. It was a special arrangement of that society. I have experienced something like betrothal twice in my 40 years. I better explain what I mean by that. I don't mean that I've been betrothed. That's not what I mean. I mean I've experienced something like betrothal twice in my 40 years and plus of serving as a pastor. In the first case, there was a girl from a foreign country, the Dominican Republic, who wanted to marry a boy, I should say a lady and a man, a woman and a man, wanted to marry a man from Michigan. Given the situation in the Dominican Republic and whatever, they wanted the ceremony to take place in the Dominican Republic. But they wanted legally to be married in Michigan. So what they did is they came to our living room in Michigan with a marriage license, Michigan, perfectly legal, and I performed a legal marriage ceremony in my living room near the fireplace in Michigan. And so they were legally married. Then he went home and she went home. They didn't live together. They didn't sleep together. They waited until they both went about a month or two later. I don't remember how exact long, but it was quite a bit of time. Do you remember how long it was? Oh, it was a month. Okay, from Thanksgiving to Christmas. So we had the ceremony at Thanksgiving, and a month or two was pretty close. And then they went to the Dominican Republic, and they were married in the Dominican Republic in a church ceremony in the Dominican Republic. And after that, they lived together as husband and wife. They cohabitated, lived under the same roof. They entered into conjugal relations, which they abstained from, from Thanksgiving to Christmas. So from Thanksgiving to Christmas, after they were legally married in Michigan, and before they were living together as husband and wife, they were 
essentially the equivalent of betrothed. That's the idea. Now, again, that's very rare. That doesn't normally happen in the United States. Happened a second time. I won't bother getting into that. But twice I've experienced something like this. So they were already legally committed to one another as husband and wife, but they weren't living together under the same roof or sleeping together in the same bed. But they were legally married. This was the case with Joseph and Mary. Very similar to this. They were legally married, but they weren't living together or sleeping together. That's the first thing. Second thing is, during that period of time, after they were betrothed and before they were actually together and supposed to be together conjugally and, and living under the same roof, cohabitating, there was a scandalous pregnancy. Mary was discovered to be pregnant before they came together. Joseph was not Jesus' biological father, and he knew it. So the woman that was legally his wife became pregnant before they started living together and sleeping together. We read verse 18, before they came together, before they came to, before she was found with child of the Holy Spirit. So Joseph was grieved. This appeared to be scandalous. It appeared to be that she had been guilty of sleeping with another man. He knew he, knew he wasn't the biological father. So what was he supposed to think? But he wasn't going to make her a public example and have her stoned, which he could have done. He didn't want to do that. So we read, of his intent to divorce her without a criminal trial on the grounds of infidelity. What was it? What else was he supposed to think? And Joseph, quote, her husband, being a righteous man and not willing to make her a public example, intended, was minded. The idea is that he had planned it. He was intending, he said, he was thinking about it, my wife has been unfaithful to me. She's had another man. What am I supposed to do? I'm going to get a divorce. He had made up his mind and had planned and intended to get a divorce. But he was not going to do it through a public trial for adultery. He was just going to privately go and have a legal divorce so that he would be freed from responsibility to her as her husband but he wasn't going to have her stoned and put on public trial. Not willing to make her a public example. He wasn't going to do something like that. So that's the situation. Now, while that was the situation, a scandalous pregnancy, what appeared to be, intending divorce, Joseph goes to sleep. And we read in verses 20 and 21, But when he thought on these things, behold, an angel of the Lord appeared to him in a dream, saying, Joseph, son of David, because that's his genealogy. And he was a royal descendant 
an heir of David, who would have inherited the right to the throne of David in the establishment of a kingdom. Joseph, you son of David, don't be afraid to take to you Mary, your wife. That is, don't be afraid to bring her under your roof and to live with her as husband and wife. For that which is conceived in her is of the Holy Spirit. She's not guilty of fornication. I know you're not the biological father. Joseph, there is no biological father. The Holy Spirit... who has nothing to do with sex is the cause of her pregnancy. And she will bring forth a son and you will call his name Jesus because he will save his people from their sins. You have a revealing dream in which God discloses to Joseph what happened to Mary and tells him what to do about it. Then the next thing that occurs is an apostolic explanation. Matthew puts this into inspired perspective. He says that this miracle of the virgin conception of Jesus is a fulfillment of the promise of a virgin birth made through the prophet Isaiah 700 years ago. So Matthew, the inspired apostle, explains to us, now all this has come to pass that it might be fulfilled which was spoken by the Lord through the prophet saying, behold, the virgin. And he uses the Greek word for virgin. Shall be with a child and bring forth a son, and they will call his name Emmanuel, which is being interpreted God with us. Now, this word that he uses depicts someone unmarried and chaste, and sometimes it even refers to men who have never had sexual relations, like in Revelation 14.4. And then you have Joseph's response which is he believes the angel. And verse 24 says, And Joseph arose from his sleep and did as the angel of the Lord commanded him and took to him his wife. He believed the angel. He took Mary home and they lived together under the same roof. But there was something they didn't do. There was a period of prudent abstinence. They refrained from ordinary conjugal relations of husband and wife until after Jesus was born. He said, I guess, look, I don't want there to be any mistake about what happened here. We're going to live under the same roof, but we're not going to sleep together. We're not going to have conjugal relations until after the birth of this baby. And verse 25 says, and knew her not. He didn't know her. That means he didn't, that doesn't mean he didn't know her name. 
or he didn't know anything about her, it means he didn't have sex with her until she had brought forth her firstborn son. So that also means that he did have sex with her after Jesus was born. They didn't have conjugal relations before the birth of Jesus, but they did have them after the birth of Jesus. And so Jesus' brothers and sisters were the biological children of Joseph and Mary, and Mary was not a perpetual virgin. If she were a perpetual virgin, she would have been a witch and not a godly woman. A married woman that refuses to have conjugal relations with her husband perpetually is not a godly woman. And Mary was a godly woman, and she didn't do that. Joseph and Mary had other children the ordinary way. He knew her not until she had brought forth a son, and he called his name Jesus. So there was not only a, a confidence and belief in the word of God through the angel in the dream, but there was also an abstinence, prudent abstinence, until the birth of Jesus, and then they had ordinary conjugal relations. Well, that's the story. That's at least part of the story. There's also a second part of the story. And that second part of the story is told in uh, Luke chapter 1. Luke chapter 1. Luke chapter 1 starts out with an angelic visit. Now do you notice right off the bat any basic difference between the story told by Matthew and the story told by Luke? Let me ask this question. Who did the angel visit in the dream in the Matthew story? Joseph. And who did the angel visit in the Luke story? I didn't hear you. Mary, right, 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 Mary. So when Luke says he investigated this, it seems to be the clear impression that Luke is telling us, and I, I use this a little license, Luke is telling us what's written in Mary's diary, Mary's experience. And Matthew's telling us, what was written in Joseph's diary. So God's taking two, let's say, ordinary people who had a very special place in redemptive history. And he explained, because they both independently experienced a miraculous event that radically affected both of their lives. God sent an angel to both of them and explained to them by direct revelation what in the world was going on? They would have had no other way of knowing. So Matthew tells us Joseph's experience, what was recorded, quote unquote, in Joseph's diary. If Joseph had a diary, he would have written down, you know, I, I was betrothed to Mary, and before we started living together, I found out she was pregnant. 
I was going to divorce her. And then I had a dream and an angel told me that the Holy Spirit was the father and that there was no biological father and she hadn't committed fornication and she wasn't unfaithful to me. So don't be afraid to take her home. And I took her home and we lived together until the baby was born, but we never had conjugal relations until after the baby was born. That's Joseph's diary. Imagine reading a story like that. Would you believe it? Would you believe that? Oh, yeah? So your girlfriend got pregnant and you weren't the father, right? Yeah, okay. And so you, you were going to divorce her and then you had a dream and an angel told you there was no father, but it was the Holy Spirit. Yeah, sure, Joe. Yeah, right. Yeah, right, Joe. Yeah, right. Right, right. Okay. Yeah, sure. What's her story, Joe? Her story's even better, huh? Oh, here we go. Let's look at her diary. Luke picked up her diary. What's he reading? What's he find out? First of all, it tells you the name of the angel that came. The angel Gabriel, the sixth month of Elizabeth's pregnancy, the angel Gabriel was sent by God to Galilee. And that's where she was living. And... Mary was espoused, I explained that, to Joseph, to a virgin, espoused to a man whose name was Joseph. This virgin was of the house of David, and her name was Mary. And Luke, I think it's very clear, gives us Mary's genealogy, which was not done then. He didn't record women's genealogies, but he records Mary's genealogy, and he traces Mary's genealogy of Jesus through Mary all the way back to Adam, which is also significant. So Joseph's, uh, the genealogy of Jesus legally through Joseph goes back to Abraham and David. The genealogy of Jesus biologically through Mary goes all the way back to Adam. In Luke chapter 3. It says Mary was of the house of David. And Gabriel told Mary that she was very favored. And she'd be chosen to have a unique place of blessedness on earth. What a blessing Mary. You're going to be a young lady. And you're going to become pregnant. Without a human father. And none of the skeptics in the world are going to believe you. That's how blessed you are. But you're going to have a unique place of blessedness. And Mary was confused and scared. She said, what's this guy talking about? And he said what was going to happen. Verse 30. The angel said to her, don't be afraid. Because you found favor with God. And behold, you're going to conceive. And you're going to bring forth a son. And you're going to call his name Jesus. So one angel is sent to Joseph to tell him what to name the baby. And another angel is sent to Mary to tell him what to name the baby, to tell her what to name the baby. And they both give the same name. You're going to call him Jesus. So one angel told Joseph, Jesus is the name of this baby. The other one told Mary, Jesus is the name of this baby. So when they compared notes in their diary, 
That was one of the things that they could have said, wow. There's no way that we both made up the same name out of, out of nowhere. The angel told them both the same name. And the angel said to her that Jesus, your son, Mary, is going to have a great position. He's going to be David's royal heir and reign forever. But then here comes the crucial question. Mary says to the angel, how is this exactly going to happen? Because I'm a virgin and I've never had sex with anyone. Verse 34. Then Mary said to the angel, how is this going to be? Seeing I don't know a man. And then Gabriel explained to her that Jesus' conception would be miraculous. It would happen by the supernatural power of the Holy Spirit. It would be a miracle. There is no biological human father. And this would uniquely make Jesus, like Adam, God's son, created supernaturally by God. And verse 35 tells us, and the angel answered and said to her, the Holy Ghost will come upon you and the power of the highest will overshadow you. And therefore, that holy thing which will be born of you will be called the Son of God. And then Gabriel gave her a sign. He gave her secret information that only God and a few people on earth knew. And she would have no way of knowing what God revealed it to her. And that is that her barren older cousin Elizabeth was going to have a baby, and she was already six months pregnant. And Mary believed the angel, and she submitted to the will of God for her life. And Mary said, verse 38, Behold, the handmaid of the Lord, be it unto me according to your word. So you have the story. Joseph's diary, Mary's diary. Inspired story, recorded by Matthew and by Luke. The story of this miracle of the virgin birth from the perspective of Joseph and from the perspective and experience of Mary. That's the story. So Mary... Someone says, you and Joseph, you just uh, couldn't wait, huh? She says, it's not true. You mean Joseph's not the father? No. Well, who's the father, Mary? There isn't any. Come on. Expect me to believe that. Well, an angel appeared to me before I got pregnant and told me I was going to get pregnant. And he told me, what I was going to name the baby. And he told me that there wasn't going to be any biological father. And he told me that the Holy Spirit, by supernatural power, was going to cause me to conceive a baby, even though I'd never had any sexual relations with any man. Come on, Mary, expect me to believe that. See, the thing is, folks, I do believe it. I do believe it. 
I believe that Joseph told the truth. I believe that Mary told the truth. I believe that the Gospel of Matthew is inspired by God. I believe that the Gospel of Luke is inspired by God. Follow this? You mean you actually believe that story? I do. I actually believe it. Because the Bible tells it. And if you don't believe it, you know what you're saying? You're saying that the Bible's not inspired. You're saying that it's a bunch of hooey. You're saying that all the skeptics that went around, and I'll get to them in a minute, and said to Jesus, you know, you know you're really illegitimate. You know that, right? You're saying that all those skeptics were right. And that Mary was a, a lying slut. And Joseph was a fool. That's it, huh? That's your story? Really? No kidding. That's it? Mary's a lying slut and Joseph's a fool. So what in the world are we celebrating Christmas for? Just a big lie. No. I'm not going down that road. A road of skepticism and unbelief. Yeah, it's a miracle. Once in the entire history of the human race, this happened. Once and only once. And it happened for a wonderful good reason. So let me summarize the amazing substance of what actually we just read. Let me, let me summarize it for you. First of all, Mary was a young maid. Now we don't know exactly how old, but Matthew says that what happened to her is a fulfillment of Isaiah 7.14. And that a virgin will conceive. And the Hebrew word translated virgin is alema. And this word is translated in various texts, maid, damsel, or virgin. It's found in six other passages. I'm not going to get into that kind of detailed study. But it features, Alima, a stage of development in life. It refers to a young woman, a female, who has recently entered puberty. It can be used as a synonym for the Hebrew word for a sexual virgin, which is Bethula. For example, and again, I'm not going to get into all the details, the Bible depicts Rebecca's virginity, the wife of Isaac, both with the word Alema and Bethula. So this word, a virgin will conceive, Alema, informs us that Mary, when she conceived Jesus, was probably in her early teens, about 14 to 16 years old. And it points implicitly to sexual purity. But there are some skeptics that tell us that Alema can refer to, quote, a newly married woman until the birth of her first child, end quote. And that lacks biblical warrant and biblical support because the Bible says even more clearly that she was not only a young maiden, an Alema, it also says that she was a sexual virgin. 
She was not simply a young female who had just entered womanhood. She was also a virgin sexually. And this is not simply implicit in her maidenly age. The scripture says it explicitly. Matthew uses the Greek word parthenos, which means a sexual virgin to translate alama in Matthew 1. And Luke also says she was parthenos. Furthermore, she explicitly told the angel Gabriel that she never had sexual relations with anyone. And the angel acknowledged that she spoke the truth. He explained that she would conceive asexually by the supernatural power of God the Holy Spirit. And the angel, who didn't lie, told Joseph that she was not a lying slut. She was not guilty of fornication. She did none of those things. She's innocent of what you think she must have been guilty of. It's not true. She wasn't guilty, so don't be afraid to take her home as your wife. And the angel didn't lie to him. He told him that her conception was of the Holy Spirit. So before she conceived Jesus, the angel Gabriel told her what was going to happen and said it was going to be an asexual conception. And after she conceived him, another angel told Joseph exactly the same thing. So either you believe the Bible is true or you don't. Either Matthew's true and Luke is true or it isn't. But let's not go around saying that the Bible's not clear because it uses the Hebrew word alama. That won't do. That's not faithful to the word. And she was a descendant of David. And as the genealogy in Matthew relates to Joseph, so the genealogy in Luke, though it's difficult to harmonize, relates to Mary. Because Paul says that Jesus was born of the seed of David according to the flesh. And Joseph was not Jesus' biological father. But Mary was his biological mother. So if he's descended from David, physically and biologically, she must be too. It won't do to say, well, it doesn't really matter what his biological descent was. It doesn't really matter. Where... Oh, it matters. And that's why Luke gives us Mary's genealogy in a remarkable fashion in Luke chapter 3. Jesus was indeed born of the seed of David. And he told, the angel told Mary that he would inherit the throne of his father, David. And through Mary, he was descended from David, not through the line of kings, but through Nathan. But he was biologically descended from David through Mary. Christ is human, and yet he is no ordinary human. 
Now, the rest of the story that we read is that his conception was asexual. I mean by that very simply, without the fusion of male and female sex cells. There was no biological human father. Gabriel said that Mary conceived asexually without a biological human father through supernatural divine power. She was a virgin before she conceived Jesus. She was a virgin during the conception of Jesus. She was a virgin after the conception of Jesus and until the birth of Jesus. During all of that, she was a virgin. His conception was asexual. Her egg was miraculously fertilized without what a human father biologically contributes to that conception. And that was by the supernatural power of the Creator. Mary, therefore, contributed everything that any human mother contributes to the conception of her son. She was, in every sense, Jesus' biological mother. Thus, Jesus was Jewish according to the flesh. And it was supernatural. So, well, so what? Finally, so what? So we looked at the story, and we looked at the substance. The substance is very simply this. A virgin, a sexual virgin, who was a young woman, probably in her early to mid-teens, conceived a baby without any sexual involvement with a human male by the power of the Holy Spirit. Spirit. That's what the Bible tells us happened. It tells us that story from the perspective of Joseph and Mary. So, so what? Thirdly and finally, what's the vital significance of this? We read in Luke one thirty-five. therefore, that holy thing which shall be born of you will be called the Son of God. Since Jesus has no human father, he is the second Adam. He is the son of God, the representative head of the new humanity. And the virgin birth is absolutely essential to his identity as the second and last Adam. How was Adam formed? Did Adam have a biological father and a biological mother? Who, by the way, happened to be swinging in trees? No, he had no biological father and no biological mother. God took dirt and he formed it and breathed into it and Adam became a living soul. And then he took one of his ribs and formed it into a woman. They were created by the supernatural power of the living God without any biological descent from apes or anything else. That's the first Adam. 
directly created by God. Now, if there were whole bunches of people that were directly created by God without human procreation, then we wouldn't be speaking of a second and a last atom, but there'd be many, many atoms, but there's not. There's only one other human that was directly created by God without a biological human father and his name, Jesus. He's the second Adam. And he's the last Adam. And there's no other like that between Jesus and Adam. And there's none other after Jesus like that. Every other human being is created with a, a procreated with a biological human father and mother. But not Jesus. And here's the thing. Adam had neither biological mother nor father. Jesus had a biological human mother, but no biological human father. That's the nature of this miracle. It's supernatural, divine creation. But he doesn't take a separate piece of dust from somewhere else. But he supernaturally creates Jesus in the womb of a virgin by his supernatural power bringing about through the Holy Spirit the conception of Jesus. And so there's discontinuity and continuity with the human race, with Adam's race. That's why Luke traces the descent of Jesus all the way back to Adam because his mother, his biological mother, Mary, was human. God didn't go outside Adam's race and just take another piece of dust, create Jesus. Took a woman. It's interesting. A virgin. A young woman. And in her womb, without any biological contribution from any man, he created Jesus, a true human, a true miracle by the power of the Holy Spirit. Now, that's a significance. Significance is that he's the second Adam and he's the last Adam. He's the representative head. As Adam is a representative head of the original humanity, so Jesus is the representative head of the new humanity. He's the second Adam. Now, it's interesting, isn't it? that Jesus' adversaries insinuated that he was illegitimate, and they even said, we know that Joseph wasn't your biological father. You know, we all know that, but you know what? You know who your father was? Your biological father was a Samaritan. That's what they said to him. John 8, chapter 41. Um, John chapter 8, verse 41 and verse 48. Jesus said to these people, you do the deeds of your father. And then they said to him, oh, yeah, oh, yeah, we weren't born of fornication. We have one father, even God. We're not like you. We're not born out of fornication. Our mother didn't fornicate with somebody that wasn't her husband like your mother did. What a thing to say. That's what that's a story that was going around. Verse 48, and he answered, 
Then the Jews answered and said, Don't we say well that you're a Samaritan? You know why your mother wouldn't name who your father really is? We didn't, it wasn't Joseph. Yeah, sure, we all know that. You know why? Because he was a Samaritan. And she was ashamed to say that the up living up there in Galilee, the person that she had sex with, got pregnant by was a Samaritan. And that's all been covered over her. Just the kind of stuff they said to Jesus. You're a Samaritan and you're demon-possessed. Samaritan, demon-possessed. You're an illegitimate, demon-possessed Samaritan. The story of the virgin conception of a bunch of hooey. We don't believe it for a minute. And you got modern skeptics calling themselves Christians that actually say things like, well, these modern skeptics insinuate that the virgin birth is a myth concocted to avoid the shame of Jesus' illegitimate origin. Why does it matter? They say, we still believe, but what difference does it make if Jesus really did have a biological human father that was a Samaritan, it wouldn't matter to Christianity. What do we say to stuff like that? Well, first of all, modern science could never prove that Jesus had a biological father. Where are they going to get the sample of Jesus' DNA? Where are they going to get a sample of his biological father's DNA? You know what? Jesus' body Here's a have a, here, here another thing, O oh skeptic. Jesus' body is not in a tomb. You're not going to find it there because he's raised from the dead and he's alive and his body is in heaven. Go do the DNA sample there. How are you going to do that DNA test and bring it back to us? The idea is absurd. And the Bible says repeatedly and explicitly that the conception of Jesus was miraculous. It states plainly and emphatically and repeatedly that Mary was a virgin before she conceived Jesus. And when she conceived and after she conceived. And the virgin birth does not rest on the meaning or use of the Hebrew word alama. It rests on explicit statements of his miraculous conception in Matthew and Luke. So if you reject the virgin birth, you reject that the Bible is historically true. And it is a self-contradiction to say that you believe the Bible is infallible and historically true, and at the same time reject the virgin birth. And that's why it's so significant and so important. Remember reading something one time in a written, no, this was a long time ago. It was either in the 70s or 80s. It was when liberalism was infecting one of, uh, one of the American denominations, and I read a periodical by people who said that the virgin birth was a myth. And they said it this way. They said, you know, and what they were arguing for was that women should be ordained to be elders and pastors of the word of God. 
And these skeptics wrote, and this is pretty close to a quote. It's been a long time. I'm not going to name them, so I'm not going to be guilty of slander. But what they wrote is something very close to this. Quote, the denial of the virgin birth hurts nobody. But the refusal to ordain a woman, that means in the context to be a pastor, to be an elder, hurts a lot. You know, that still sticks in my craw. You know why? It hurts Mary. Hurts Joseph. Hurts Jesus. Don't we say well that you're a Samaritan, demon-possessed liar? Your mother was a Jewish lying slut? The accounts of uh, your birth in Matthew and Luke are a lot of hooey, a bunch of baloney, just a story concocted, fake news, concocted to protect you from the shame and disgrace of your illegitimate origin. Yeah, the denial of the virgin birth hurts no one. Yeah, right. Sure it does. Hurts nobody, really? Doesn't hurt God? Doesn't hurt Jesus. Doesn't hurt those that believe the Bible. Doesn't hurt that. Doesn't hurt anybody, really? Does it make any difference? No kidding. That's that's nonsense. And there's so, my dear people, there is no possible way that we can reject the biblical story of the miracle of the virgin birth and legitimately claim to believe that the Bible is true. I would say that that's pretty significant for your life. What the angel essentially said is, look, it's never happened before, it's never going to happen again, but the things that are impossible with men are possible with God. And this is the foundation of our faith, that the Bible is true, that it's the word of God, whatever says it's, whatever it says is true, and there's nothing too hard for God. So we live in a world of great uncertainty. We live in a world where people right now all around us are being overcome with fear. And if you all you rely on is man, then I can see why people are afraid. But we don't have to be afraid because we don't have to rely only on man. We don't have to live in fear. We don't have to live our lives being consumed and overcome by fear because the Bible is true. And all things really are possible with God. And he does and has worked miracles. Now, I understand that this miracle is a unique miracle that made Jesus the second Adam and Never, never another miracle like it before or after in human history. I understand that. But it doesn't mean that God's power is limited. See in this the power of God to hear and to answer your prayers. Because the things impossible with men are possible with God. And if God could do this, what is there that's too hard for him? 
But may God be pleased to encourage our hearts. Let's pray.